After two whole weeks of delay, we're back. This is the Exchange of Information, the Exchange Invest weekly podcast. After a brief hiatus during the middle of the Northern Hemisphere summer, while the many parts of the Middle East and the Muslim world were celebrating Eid, while it was Indian Independence Day and more, we took a week off. Welcome back. It's Exchange Invest Weekly, the podcast brought to you by myself, Patrick L. Young. We're reviewing the course of the last two weeks of news, which brings us up to today, Saturday the 24th of August. Leading the stories this week, well, Fascinating egg on the face of the CFTC, the American Commodity Futures Trading Commission. It seems that they came to an agreement with Kraft Heinz as a result of a settlement for some, well, how might one put it, apparently dubious dealing in certain aspects of the grain complex. There was a $16 million settlement. However, Kraft Heinz and Mondelez ultimately bit back. After the allegations they'd rigged the wheat prices, the companies accused the CFTC of violating the agreed order, specifically an unusual provision which censored what the CFTC could actually say in public about the case. This made it rather embarrassing, as it seems the CFTC had said rather a lot in public about the case, albeit that was subsequently removed very, very rapidly from the CFTC website. Hmm... Difficult to really say anything further about this. It's all rather sub say, and to put it mildly, there's a great deal of egg on the face of a great deal of people. As the results season was grinding to a close, we had the first half numbers from Hong Kong exchanges. Profits rose by 3% on higher listing fees. Although overall there were obviously some concerns about what's been going on in the political climate within the special administrative region of China. ASX also reported their full-year results to the 30th of June, with lots of updates about how their projects are going in the DLT world, of which more in a moment. Meanwhile, Moscow Exchange had their results for the second quarter of 2019, and SIX reported very solid operating performance for the first half of the year. In technology news, the London Stock Exchange suffered a rather unfortunate glitch. It delayed the opening in the largest stocks for some 90 minutes. Not a good look, of course, for the LSEG, as it's just announced the fact that it wants to acquire Refinitiv, which is, if nothing else, a huge amount of assets in the world of, well, constantly providing data in trading. Meanwhile, over at the ECB, They shut down a website called BIRD, the Bank's Integrated Reporting Dictionary, which apparently had been wildly compromised. Hmm. It's possible, they said, that the contact data, but not the passwords, of 481 subscribers to the BIRD newsletter may have been captured. However, while it was constrained only to the email addresses, names and position titles of the subscribers, has to be said it's rather worrying that the breach only came to light during regular maintenance work. Over at ASX, as I mentioned just a moment ago, they were talking about their DLT settlement system. It is on track, according to their annual report that came out with their annual results. Meanwhile, there's a bit of a worry also in the hacking front. The Moscow Exchange blockchain voting system is apparently easy to hack, according to a French researcher. Over in Australia, there was a wonderful piece of discussion. The ACCC is being asked. That's the Competition Commission of Australia, their antitrust body. They're being told that, well, effectively, there needs to be some sort of an inquest because 
a monopolist is pricing the market. This is quite interesting because the person complaining seems to be a 49% ASX-owned entity. They made an 11 million Australian dollar investment in a company called Simply a while back. That company, Simply, is complaining about the dominant monopoly incumbent in the marketplace in e-conveyancing in Australia. And they're saying a monopoly is bad for prices and consumers. Now, naturally, I'm sure many parishioners look forward to ASX applying the new policy of Glasnost across all their monopoly franchises. But then again, we also have to add another layer to the whole irony. Simply, the ASX-backed upstart is complaining about an incumbent called PEXA, P-E-X-A, owned by Link, which was originally created as ASX perpetual registrars within the ASX itself. Interesting times. The ASX complains on one side about monopolies, but on the other side can see nothing wrong with its own incumbent monopoly position. DLT Malta is the book of the blockchain island, consisting of thoughts from leading local advocates and practitioners of the crypto economy, led by the Prime Minister, the Honourable Joseph Muscat MP. DLT Malta is edited by myself, Patrick L. Young, and Joseph Anthony DeBono. The book can be obtained from all leading bookstores worldwide. If you want to understand Bitcoin, blockchain, cryptocurrency, and the broader impact of the distributed ledger, this book is packed with insights and information about the potential for the technology. DLT Malta, Thoughts from the Blockchain Island, is published by DV Books on behalf of the industry association Blockchain Malta, in bookstores now. Two interesting deal snippets in the course of this bulletin to bring you up to date with. First of all, we see some movement towards the actual merger of the Ho Chi Minh and Hanoi exchanges in Vietnam. They have long been talking about being put under a single government banner. Expect to see the Vietnam Stock Exchange being born in the near future and the headquarters are going to be in Hanoi. Meanwhile, one acquisition, Market Access, they are acquiring the US Treasury's trading operator Liquidity Edge. It's about a $150 million deal, if my memory serves me correctly, which, of course, is going to make the US Treasury market even more competitive. And at the same time, that also presumably helps London Stock Exchange Group avoid any antitrust on the trade website of Refinitiv. A little snippet of interesting news at the nexus of, well, regulation, technology, the politics of markets at all, IEX, the Flash Boys, they're proposing a connectivity fee for the very first time. Is it the end of the brave new world, I ask myself? I mean, didn't IEX make this free access one of their centrepieces of their new new thing by the Flash Boys? Meanwhile, over at the Financial Times, that newspaper, which was once associated exclusively with financial markets, but now has the moniker the Brussels Bugle amongst many, because it's, of course, the chosen daily read of the nomenclature of the European Commission. They did actually step into financial markets and free markets at that, where they were talking in the story why the good times are unlikely to last for exchange groups. I have to say, I thought it was a rather limited piece. Given the fact that on that day we were looking at the major market caps of the two leaders of Young's Exchange Pyramid, the CME and the Intercontinental Exchange, having market caps of $77 and $52 billion respectively, both of which I think reached pretty much new market highs right around the point of this article, it's difficult to see quite where the growth is going to run out for these businesses because surely the whole point is that these businesses have been built nimble. Certainly Intercontinental Exchange has. Uh, one might argue that I suppose CME has been more the process of bulking on quasi-monopolistic assets all the way through by buying assets in New York and elsewhere. 
However, it's certainly interesting because if we look at the speed and the alacrity with which these companies have been building market cap in recent days, it's quite clear that they've already comfortably starting to exceed the sort of imputed valuation being placed upon the London Stock Exchange Group without the messy need to integrate those irreconcilables with modernity, the 18,500 refinitive staff. Whatever the actual final value is when LSE plus refinitive is totted together, clearly, ICE, in particular, is going to be a much more nimble business than the LSE will ever manage to be in the course of the next three to five years, even presuming that the London Stock Exchange learns the fine art of competitive rationalisation and integration, something at which it's been, well, not exactly the ducks of the field in recent years. So essentially where we left with was the FT gave us a rather limited peak growth argument It's true in one sense. I mean, obviously, if you concentrate on trying to buy very large exchange assets, we know that has come to the end of the line. Antitrust is going to stop the very largest exchanges from being able to bulk up with particularly significant assets in many areas, particularly in traded product that might somehow or other lead to a form of monopoly. That, after all, has been the entire tale of why Deutsche Börse spent the past decade in entire frustration, because it simply didn't understand the monopoly rules, nor indeed did the late Xavier Rolli LSE, when it was attempting foolishly to undertake the merger of equal desperation with Deutsche Börse. The truth is, if you don't morph and you don't find a way to scale without upsetting antitrust, there are limits to growth. However, Exchanges are only niche players. $77 billion and $52 billion market caps are not exactly enormous if you go outside of the parish of exchanges and look at major proper multinationals that actually have footprints in, say, well, 50, 100 or more countries, as opposed to, relatively speaking, scattering a dozen or so offices around the globe, many of which are quite tiny indeed. So exchanges are still only niche players. They have a foothold which crisscrosses the world, but it isn't global per se in terms of office network. There are many opportunities ahead. The foolishness would be to stick to the same old, same old in the quest for profit growth argument. It's a big data world. Mortgage paperwork within the whole environment of the intercontinental exchange. The foreign exchange businesses, the opportunity that's going to be provided by what looks to be the coming into play in the near future of certain settlement assets such as, for example, our dear friends at Euroclear in Brussels. There are a multiplicity of ways in which these exchanges can manage to grow. That does not necessarily mean they will be growing in pure, simple trading assets. Although at the same time, there is in fact a massive growth opportunity for more exchanges and more exchange-traded product in the world. The difficulty is that if you're the Intercontinental Exchange Group, or indeed the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, you more than likely cannot scale down to actually garner, well, effectively, the seedlings of alpha that are the future new markets. But nonetheless, the concept that the good times are unlikely to last for what are essentially incredibly coherent, competitive and efficient micro-pricing corporate database management groups, technology companies, if you will, with a huge swathe of regulation and safety, then it's a foolish argument. They have incredible potential. There are enormous opportunities, and the greatest opportunities, the best days, the greenest days, the most exciting days for the world of exchanges are still in our future. (coughs) Exchange Invest is the daily must-read by the most influential figures operating the world's best markets. We invite you to join the exclusive group of Bourse bosses and other C-suite executives who make Exchange Invest the exchange of information. 
their daily business intelligence guide to markets the world over. Exchange Invest is available to subscribers at $200 per user per year or currency equivalent. You can get more details at exchangeinvest.com or email me, patrick at derivativesvision.com. In the world of regulation, there was some quite interesting stuff to read, or at least important stuff to read, the RTS2 annual review report, which emerged from ESMA. It suggested, well, a thinly veiled sense of panic in terms of what's going to happen with Brexit. And indeed, the European Union would seem to be on the back foot at the moment because the British government is essentially calmly, coherently working towards the possibility that there may not be a deal and it may simply leave on the 31st of October from the European Union, giving us a Brexit which falls back on World Trade Organization rules. That would be tricky for the United Kingdom, no doubt about that whatsoever, but it's going to be a catastrophe for the European Union. At the same time, the European Union is currently finding it quite difficult to bend. But do note, while the sorts of things like this RTS2 annual review has emerged from the European Union in the course of recent weeks, the British government did something quite seismic in the course of the last 10 days. They repealed the 1972 European Communities Act. That is a very, very clear sign, ladies and gentlemen, that come what may, Brexit is coming on October the 31st. Over in India, the WDRA, the body for depository warehouses, and SEBI have been working on norms to regulate non-agricultural commodity warehouses. Can't come too soon. It's a great reason why, of course, many custodians are staying away from deliverable markets in India is the fear of an NSEL-type default. And given the fact that the NSEL scandal continues to muddy on with 63 moons, the former FTIL, the Jignesh Shah organization, managing to avoid further problems during the course of this week when certain court papers were thrown out, leaving it, well, not quite as coherently liable as some might think that it ought to be. Obviously, the standards of warehouses are very, very important. In Singapore, some very, very interesting tax rules emerged. They're removing VAT liability on changing fiat currency into payment token form and vice versa. That's potentially seismic for the cryptocurrency business and particularly for the Singaporean financial centre because they're potentially seizing a huge advantage over other more sluggish regulators who claim they are, well, pro-cryptocurrency but are applying VAT to these sorts of token transfers. Watch this space. It'll be interesting to see how quickly other regulators follow suit as right now Singapore has a massive material advantage. Over in South Korea, the regulators there are taking a direct approach to cryptocurrency exchange regulations. Hooray! At the same time, they had some projections. They are stating that some parties believe, well, 97% of crypto exchanges in the vibrant South Korean marketplace are going to go bust. Let me say that again. 97% of crypto exchanges in South Korea are expected to go bust. Yes, I know what you're thinking. 97%, that makes them at least 2% more optimistic than I am. Over in Australia, there have been certain issues in the course of the last week. ASIC, the Australian regulator, they finally decided to crack down on retail access to various high-stakes derivatives products, the high-leverage issues of binary options and CFDs. They're effectively mimicking European regulations that were brought in temporarily last year but seem to have hardened their way into permanence. Back in India, SEBI seemed to be tightening the screws further on equity buybacks. First of all, the finance ministry imposed a 20% tax on the act of share buybacks in the budget this year. And now SEBI, the regulator, is likely to further tighten norms on the scheme. 
Good grief, as I said in the Exchange Invest newsletter this week, if such a scheme existed in the USA, civilization may have already ended. Two new markets in terms of new market developments in the course of the last fortnight. First of all, it was a very simple statement cleared to launch, said the headline in Medium. Kelly Loeffler, CEO, announcing that BACT is a reality. It's due to come to life at the end of September, having been greenlighted by the CFTC. Certainly it looks like the best considered crypto market we've yet seen, backed by ICE, entirely well thought out and with a brilliantly coherent management team led by Kelly Loeffler, who frankly could be running any legacy exchange in the world at the moment, quite feasibly, most of them better than the incumbent management. Over in India, there's a lot of discussion. It looks as if we might be edging our way towards a spot exchange for gold. One of the things that was quite intriguing about that was actually a rather good article from the FT, which was talking about how it was that actually greater investor literacy standards have actually led towards the idea that gold is not being traded as thoroughly as it once was. People are now preferring to use the very easy to access electronic markets, which of course have been pioneered over the course of the last 25 years by the likes of the National Stock Exchange of India. In product news, one postponement it appears, Alibaba looked to be holding off on that famous much-discussed secondary listing on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. That's obviously something that's going to upset Hong Kong exchanges, but at the same point in time, hardly surprising given the current political upheaval in the Special Administrative Region. Meanwhile, still in Hong Kong, and incumbent monopolist which got a surprise this week was the Hong Kong Jockey Club. Hong Kong Jockey Club, you may recall, is in fact partially powered in technological terms by none other than NASDAQ of this parish. Betfair, sometimes also known these days as Flutter in the rest of the world, they have decided they're going to host exchange-based markets on Hong Kong racing and they're going to do that without the approval of the Jockey Club. Promptly, a lot of harumphing and rather ugly noises from the Hong Kong Jockey Club, which is not used to, well, people not giving way to them instantaneously. It all rather feels like the flavour of Monopoly stock exchanges fighting back all those years ago when people started to use those three fateful letters, E-C-N, in order to develop electronic communications, a.k.a. electronic trading. Over at NASDAQ in Europe, they got a good boost in their battle for more SME listings. NASDAQ's First North, which is the venue with which they've been spearheading their SME market across Europe. It's particularly dominant in the Scandinavian states. It was granted SME growth market status in Sweden, Denmark and Finland on August the 15th. And in fact, has also been given the same status already in the UK. That's a big help. It allows them to therefore ease the regulatory and administrative costs to SMEs looking to list shares on public markets. One postponed IPO looks to be coming back to the forefront. Saudi Aramco, that massive oil monopolist from the Saudi Arabian state. Once again, their IPO talk seems to be heating up and the exchanges are, of course, battling for supremacy. You name it, if you're a major exchange, they've been talking to Saudi Arabian authorities once again and they're hoping to snag at least part of that IPO. Manager Magazine reports that they believe that the confirmation of Martin Jetter as chairman of Deutsche Börse is imminent. Jetter joined the board of DB1 in May 2018. 
And indeed, he was tipped to be in pole position last December to become the next chairman. Can the IBM veteran do better after the Faber fiasco? Hmm. Can we, after the Faber fiasco, expect better from Jetter? Well, certainly DB1 risks being the talent pool which becomes the refinitive of bourses, rich in assets but never actually getting its act together thanks to the, well, at best mercurial and at worst, mm, much worse than that, peccadilloes of an often incapable C-suite in recent years. It hasn't been across every division, of course, but there have certainly been some alarming lapses of understanding, not just in antitrust, but also a great deal of stubbornness when deals have not been permitted, etc. It's a shame to see DB1 in such a situation. Hopefully it can manage to turn things around. Hopefully it can manage to ultimately find itself with a proper coherent structure going forward, and it would be good if Jetter can help be part of that reformation. Meanwhile, uh, time was called on the T-Zero creator, Patrick Byrne, as a Bitcoin evangelist, and indeed having issued that eponymous token and token platform, he ended up resigning this week as Overstock CEO following what was headlined as a deep state scandal, including all sorts of things like the FBI, a Russian spy, guns, glamour, you name it. In fact, if Frederick Forsyth or John Grisham wrote a parish novel and included this story, we could effortlessly deny its being a plausible tale. Who knows the truth of matters? In any case, it's au revoir to Mr. Byrne as Overstock CEO. Hello again to... The former MD of MCX, Murugang Paranjape, he was the former chief executive of Multi-Commodity Exchange of India, who simply refused to re-audition for his job due to the, frankly, rather moronic SEBI diktat over their being able to effectively decide who's allowed to run private businesses such as stock exchanges. He's turned up as a senior partner at the asset management firm Alpha Alternatives. All the very best to him. Tragically, a senior Communist Party official at the Shanghai Futures Exchange died a weekend or so ago. Our condolences on the passing of Mr. Hu Kun, aged 46, far too soon to be leaving the parish. Over at the SEC in Pakistan, the chairman has been replaced. Amir Khan is replacing Farooq Sabzwari after just seven months in the post. Syed Musad al-Nakvi has been appointed chairman of the SEC Policy Board in place of Khalid Mirza. Apparently, Mr. Sabzwari, the outgoing chairman, and Mr. Mirza had developed differences over policy issues, eventually leading to the dismissal of both, according to the Pakistan newspaper Dawn. Meanwhile, Mr. Sabzwari is stepping down as chairman, but he will remain an SEC of Pakistan commissioner. Meanwhile, over in Switzerland, the head of Six's digital asset exchange, SDX, has quit over a strategy disagreement. The CEO of SDX, Martin Halblob, announced he will be departing the exchange, which is just eight months after he took the role on. Apparently, he wanted to spin the SDX off into an independent company, while Six wanted it to stay within the group. And that, ladies and gentlemen, brings us to the end of a rapid-fire review of the week. The Exchange Invest Weekly, covering indeed a fortnight on this particular occasion, over the course of the middle of August, the summer holiday period in the Northern Hemisphere. Hope you've enjoyed this show. Thank you very much for listening. My name is Patrick L. Young. Join us Monday to Friday for Exchange Invest Daily, the daily newsletter, The Exchange of Information, available at only $200 per user year. We look forward to welcoming you then. If you can't make it during the course of the week, 
We'll see you next week for the next episode of the Exchange Invest Weekly Podcast. Thanks for listening. This show relates to the business of bourses. It is not to be construed as investment advice, nor are we making any investment recommendations. Please consult an investment advisor before you make any investments, and for goodness sake, do your due diligence and do not make investments without complying with the regulations in your home state. Exchange Invest cannot be held responsible for any investment decisions made as a result of our programme, which is for entertainment purposes only. The material herein is copyright Patrick L. Young at the date of publication, while our music and sound effects are sourced from copyright-free sources. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly, the exchange of information.